The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. I'm joined today by a man most of you are probably very familiar with, familiar with from his TV series, To Catch a Predator. Um, uh, it's Chris Hansen, and you've done a ton of work besides, besides that, uh, including your latest podcast, which we're going to talk about today, which is a podcast called Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen. Chris, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Well, Bob, thank you very much. So, so Chris is and, and Erica, of course, is on our call today. And we're all we're all Michiganders. So you're now you were born you weren't born in Michigan, right? But you grew up there. No, I was actually born in Chicago. My both folks uh, grew up in the Chicago area. My dad got transferred to Detroit. He was in the auto industry in about 1968. So I grew up in uh, Michigan pretty much thereafter. Nice, and you still keep a home there, even though you're working. Oh yeah, yeah, we're we're we'll always have a presence in Michigan. I love it here, and and uh, I went to Michigan State, and two of the kids, uh, three of the kids went there as well, or one is still there, and uh, and so we like to have a presence here. You know, people always say, "How can you stay in New York? It's so crazy," and you know, blah blah blah. I said, "Well, it's easy when you you know spend ten days out of the month in Michigan, where you cut the lawn and go to Costco and drive your car like a regular guy. It makes, right. <laughs> it makes, it makes New York it makes New York a lot easier to deal with. You get to unplug for a third of the time. Yeah, exactly. I find it very very therapeutic. I didn't I didn't realize how therapeutic it is until I was when I was shooting my docu series. Uh, I spent three months in between L.A. and Memphis working that whole time um, shooting, and then when I came sure. home, it was like I don't know how people do the pace of everything and the traffic and. It's nicest to come home to the quiet. LA is LA is great for about four days, um, and I've had the opportunity a few times to live out there, and it's it's nice. And I've got a lot of friends and, and colleagues out there, obviously, and it, it's beautiful. I just, for me, the 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 driving of it and oh. the, you know how spread out it is, it I think it could could be a, a challenge to deal with. But I, I do like getting out there, and so much of our industry, obviously, is uh, right you know, has a. As a, yeah. yeah, I I've always preferred New York much better over LA. It's just, there's, yeah. there's some, it's a different vibe. The people are different. You walk everywhere, and you're grabbing. You're not sitting in traffic all the time. And oh yeah, you know, I, like I tell people, you know, they say, "What's your workout?" I said, "Well, I go to a trainer and do some other stuff." But you know, I get fifteen thousand steps a day. Right, just going about my business in New York, and it, it keeps you, it keeps you, keeps you lean and hungry. You know. Yeah. No, and nobody walks anywhere in LA. I found out. No, well, it's it's so spread apart. The car is, uh, you know, the thing out there. All but the, it is beautiful. Yeah, when I was working out there, the um, the hotel I stayed at that whole time, the office where we our production studio was was like a mile and a half away, and they'd send a car to pick me up every day. And I and finally, I just, I, I'm just, it takes an hour <laughs> and a half to drive that mile and a half in the traffic. I'm just gonna yeah. put on my shorts and and tennis shoes and walk yeah. to work every day. Take a walk, take a walk over. Yeah, exactly. So, so you went to Michigan State. That I mean, we're all so. Erica is a Michigan State grad. Um, I have a son. Oh, that, I have a son that hopefully is getting ready. He's a senior in high school, and that's his number one school. He's hoping to go to state. Awesome, so. great school, great school. Yeah. Um. Now, did you go for you went for? Did you go for journalism? 
I went for what they called in those days telecommunications, and uh, but I took a lot of journalism classes. I took what you know broadcast journalism classes they had at the time. Now they have, uh, and my second son went there and studied in the College of Communications, broadcast journalism, and, and um, I've got a great program at Michigan State. A fellow named Bob Gould who runs a class for juniors and seniors, and they actually produce a newscast there. Bob is a former. Uh, television photographer, news photographer from Grand Rapids, and, and just does such a great job with these kids. And they actually go out and they report and they edit and they put together a newscast uh, every week. And the quality of this thing is is astounding. Uh, and they have the gear and everything else. And it's a great training ground. And a lot of colleges have this, obviously, but uh, I'm most familiar with Michigan State, a great training ground for kids to come right out of school. My son came right out and Got a job in Traverse City, Michigan, and um, you know was a reporter there for a couple of years in Oklahoma City, now down in Orlando. But it, w- it was a great training ground, and everybody in that class got a job in broadcast journalism, one way or the other. Well, that's incredible. Actually, getting a job out of college is a, is a yeah. big deal. It's like I always say, you know, the hardest thing in this business is getting your first job, and the second hardest thing is getting out of your first job. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so, how many kids do you have? I have uh, two children, two sons of my own, and then two stepkids, a son and a daughter, who are a little bit young, who are one just graduated from Michigan State, one is uh, about to be a senior. Nice. Are they, how many of them are into journalism? My oldest, uh, yeah, my oldest who lives in Brooklyn does film and TV behind the scenes. He, he's got a great uh, business of his own. He does everything from commercials to crime shows to films. And, and so he's busy as all get out behind the camera. And then uh, my son, Connor is uh, an on-air reporter. So, and then the other two are smart. They're in, they're in business, right? (laughs) Business, business. Right, right, right. Uh, uh, So when, when you got out, what was your, your first job? I mean, ultimately you ended up where a dateline where, where you really made a name for yourself. Where did you start out? Well, I was very fortunate to in those days, you could get a job while you're still in college doing television at a commercial station. So I was in radio uh, for WJM, and WJM also had the CBS affiliate. And when I was doing radio at nights, uh, the summer after my junior year, I got to know the the television anchor, Howard Lancor, who was a great guy and, and helped him out with some of his copy. And then he went to the NBC station, not just as the anchor, but also as uh, news director. And so he never forgot that and the friendship that we built. And we went out one night and had a bunch of drinks. And the next day, he hired me as a part-time TV reporter, the last half of my senior year for literally $4.95 an hour and all the city council meetings and fires I could cover. So when I graduated, I already had that job and then went you know full-time. So I was very fortunate. I stayed another you know, year and a half or so as a reporter covering the state capitol and as a Saturday anchor, and and then uh, went on to Tampa, which was a very lucky break, and worked a couple years down there. And then Detroit for about ten years in local news, and then in '93 I went to New York and and the network. Nice. So you you moved, and once you got there, um, you eventually started you started reporting on Dateline, and then and then the show To Catch a Predator comes out. What? Why right. was that show born? Were you were you tapped to be a host of that, or were you was that part? No, of your to idea? catch a predator was the predator series was never envisioned initially as its own you know series. It was uh, when I pitched the idea, 
Um, it was to be, you know, just another investigative series on, on Dateline. And that's how it started. So um, I became aware of uh, the online watchdog group, Perverted Justice. And I figured if we could use their ability uh, in terms of being decoys in chat rooms and exposing online predators and combine that with our ability to wire a house with hidden cameras and microphones, it could be pretty compelling. And so I pitched the story and and we did it in Bethpage, Long Island in, in February 2004. And, and I didn't know whether anybody was going to show up. I didn't know whether I just wasted tens of thousands of dollars of the network's money. But in two and a half days, 17 guys surfaced, including a um, New York City firefighter. And, you know, we were quite taken aback with what we found in this investigation. And the material was so compelling. I mean, we essentially, you know, we're going to take viewers inside the commission of a felony. And at the same time, show them how to keep their children safer from predators online. And so when this aired, you know, it predictably got a, a very big response and we decided to do it again. And I thought, well, who's going to show up after the second time? But then we did it a third time. And, and here we are now, 18 years later, we're shooting them for my new crime streaming network, True Blue. And we shot one just a couple months ago. And again, we had a police officer show up. We had a corporate executive show up. We had a guy who showed up in a massive dump truck. And we're out there doing it again. And, and 18 years later, the landscape has changed. The technology has changed. But the predators have not. They're still there. And, and there are more places online today than ever before where predators can approach children. I mean, imagine the explosion of social media platforms from 2004, where we merely use chat rooms on AOL and, and Yahoo. Well, today it's it's endless. I can't even keep up with them. So it, it continues to be one of our franchise, um, you know, reports, shows that we do. And we're doing a lot of other documentaries as well, but, you know, they're still out there. And as long as they are, we'll be out there exposing them. That's, that's insane. I had no idea that you, that, that first season you did in two and a half days, caught, caught 17 yeah. predators that, that showed up. 17. Wow. Did, yeah. did, did, how many didn't show up? Do you remember? Well, I don't remember exactly what number, but usually, you know, the, there's a fair number of guys who chat with the decoy and who don't show up. They get mm -hmm. spooked. They get suspicious. Their whole goal was just to chat up a kid online and get off by doing that. They had no intent of showing up. Um, the crime typically in most states is committed with the solicitation and the, the talk of sex with a minor online knowingly. Um, but, you know, obviously showing up is, you know, many times what gets them arrested and becomes part of our interview and, and the television story we do. It's, it's me that there's got to be something going on in these in these people's minds, that especially like you said, you've done the show for so long. Everybody knows about it. And yet they continue. And you've even had repeat offenders. I, mean, I feel like I've seen shows. Well, we've had we've had repeat offenders. Uh, we've had guys who showed up twice in in two days. We had a guy in in Washington D.C. Uh, actually in Virginia, just outside of Washington D.C., who showed up one night naked, took off his clothes in the garage, walked into the predator house naked. You know, quite literally oh. exposed him and then uh, um, confronted him, and then. Uh, he showed up in a chat room the next day, um, wanting to meet another 13-year-old boy. We set up a meeting at a McDonald's, and I confronted him there. Uh, John Canelli, screen name was Special Guy 29. We've had other guys in California who have, you know, surfaced uh, in one investigation in Long Beach, for instance, and then in another investigation, um, you know, just a couple hours away. 
It's crazy. God, that's crazy. So they, they must just just have to have to. They're so compelled that they're willing to take the risk. Well, there's. A, I mean, I think these guys come from three three different categories. I, I'm not a therapist, so I'm not you know qualified to you know give a diagnosis of these guys necessarily. But you know, you've got your hardcore heavy hitters who would be doing this you know, with or without the internet, the guys would be at the the mall food court or wherever, the movie theater. And you've got the guys who are younger and socially inept, and they don't see anything wrong with a 20-year-old trying to develop a relationship with a 13 or 14-year-old. It's wrong. It's illegal, but they don't see it that way. They see it more of a uh, as a Romeo and Juliet situation. Then you have these guys in between who could be from any age group, any professional category, who have the inclination to have sex with uh, somebody who's underage, but wouldn't act upon it without the internet and the addictive nature of the internet and the anonymity. They start saying things they wouldn't normally say face to face. And, and you know, suddenly there's, there's all this access and they develop this fantasy and they can't help it anymore. They blur the line between fantasy and reality and this you know, traditional barrier we have between children and adults in our society. And they cross that line and they're knocking at our door and they're sorry. They claim it's their first time. They have all kinds of excuses, but they committed a crime. And if I had not been there and a 13 year old boy or girl was, there would have likely been a sexual assault. So how, you know, at the end of every episode, the, you know, the predator walks out and the police arrest them. Did you have you followed along as far as what happens to these people? Because like you mentioned, one guy two days later got caught again. Right. You know, we 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 do follow up, and that's part of the reason for the podcast, the predators I've caught with Chris Hansen. Um, we go back over the cases that we've covered, um, the men we've exposed, and we dig deep into those cases. You know, so many times, Bob, when I'm in the moment. You know, we have background. We do as best as we can. So I know exactly who this person is, what they do, you know, something about them before they walk in. I've got the transcripts in most cases, but you don't really have that deep dive that I have now and the, you know, ability to look back on it and to immerse myself in the material and then to figure out what this person's been up to in the years since they surfaced in our investigation. So we do that in the podcast. And each episode is one particular predator. And we find out what they're what they're doing now. And we have a number of discussions going with past predators who may actually sit down and talk to us. And some have turned their lives around. Some have stayed in and out of trouble. Some have gotten better, become productive members of society. You know, there, there are a lot of fascinating stories here. What is what is like an average sentence people would get if they get, you know, they get caught or are most of them getting adjudicated through the, through the courts and and actually being sentenced? The vast majority um, either plead guilty, no contest, or um, are found guilty by a judge or jury. The vast majority, at like 99.9%. Mm-hmm. There have been a few cases that have been dismissed for technicality. There have been cases where the prosecution declined to prosecute for political reasons. But those are very, very, very minuscule percentage. In the first two investigations, we did not collaborate with law enforcement. So law enforcement had to come in after the fact and make these cases, which mm-hmm. they did when when it was uh, appropriate. Um, but now it's virtually 100%. Um, and, and because the evidence is so strong, you know, it's hard to deny your intention. Right. 
And what what is a typical sentence for these guys to get caught soliciting? The typical money? sentence, back to your original question, the typical sentence, if you don't have a criminal history, uh, is between probation and I'd say four years, depending on the circumstances, depending on the venue. You know, in the very beginning, especially in California, a lot of judges viewed this as a TV sting operation. And once we got more attention about the problems, and it wasn't just us, there were a number of groups, um, you know, advocacy groups protecting children, you know, the laws changed and the judges saw that, in fact, this is this is this is a crime and it needs to be dealt with accordingly. And so you are seeing stronger sentences now. And, and, you know, depending on the background, depending on who this person is, depending on their willingness to have treatment and therapy, it's between probation, registration as a sex offender on one side, and then, you know, without a criminal history, two to four years. Wow. That, it, it just, as a parent, it just, that just seems like not enough, but it, I guess it, it well, it is. is, but you know, it's interesting because, you know, there's a school of thought that these guys are wired this way and there's nothing you can do. And, and I see it more, you know, in shades of, of gray because I have seen guys who can be rehabilitated and I've seen guys who are on the edge, but with monitoring and treatment, they can stay out of trouble. You know, we want fast, easy answers in society, and they mm -hmm. don't exist when it comes to this particular topic. Yes, we should have zero tolerance policy. There's no question. But you can't always warehouse these guys forever. Right. Uh, some have to be, unquestionably. Some, you know, and I've talked to a lot of therapists on this, and, and we've interviewed them on the podcast. And some believe the proper individual with the proper therapy can sort this out and never offend again well yeah yeah hopefully that's that's the case with with a number of them at least oh, yeah. this, this stops it at least you bring a lot of exposure to it i want to i want to get into well, i think at the end of the day look you know i think i think at the end of the day we've done a couple of things we we've taken people inside the commission of a felony in a way that nobody else does and we apply that to all our topics whether it's a financial mm -hmm. predator or you know a predator in these investigations or any other kind of criminal activity but just as important, I think, is the dialogue and the awareness that we've created. It, it, it starts a conversation. And there's, look, undeniably, there are humorous moments, intense moments. It's popular for all the reasons we know. There's a reason why it's become a part of pop culture. There's a reason why South Park has done a Chris Hansen Predator parody. I mean, right. I get that. And I'm fine with that because... At the end of the day, it does continue to raise awareness and, and bring attention to a good cause. And if people want to, you know, poke fun at me along the way, I'm down with that. That's that's fine. Uh, and because I think we are literally on our third generation of viewers and followers and people who keep track of these investigations. And, and it's it brings people into all the other work I've done. So it's it's been a very powerful experience. It's been a very positive experience. And we got a lot of work left to do. Do you have recommendations for so like I have a 17 year old boy, a 16 year old daughter and a sure. 11 year old boy. And and I know like I'm sure you do like like you said, the, the opportunities out there now are incredible because of all the social media they use and Snapchat. And there's so many ways, well, especially during 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 the pandemic. Imagine how much more time kids are spending online, you know, and um and the potential ramifications there, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children reported that 
the number of inappropriate contacts between adults and children, the transmission of inappropriate material skyrocketed during the pandemic. I mean, skyrocketed. Right. I'm sure because they're, they're attached to their screens. There's nothing else to do. So yeah. what, what do you what do you recommend for parents? Is- well, I think you start with an age appropriate conversation. And it mm-hmm. starts with as soon as your child gets online, which is, look, there are people out there, adults who like to trick kids. Kids don't like to be tricked. So, you know, you can't assume things about people you're talking to. You shouldn't be talking to anybody online who you don't know in person. And just because someone tells you and provides a picture of a 14-year-old good-looking kid in San Diego who surfs every day, that does not mean that that person isn't really a 56-year-old fat man in his underwear surrounded by empty pizza boxes in Mm -hmm. his mother's basement. And I think if you have the realistic conversation like that, kids will get it, that image. And it's, it's you know, easy to smirk at that because it's kind of funny when you think of the image, but kids will, re- will remember that in my experience. And look, even adults get uh, conned online, um, the elderly, people who just don't suspect anybody would come up with something that diabolical to steal their money. Right. You know, it happens all the time. It, it's the nature, the ubiquitous nature of the Internet. Well, it, it, I think it's good advice to, to have those conversations because, you know, a lot of what I hear is, well, you need to limit what your kids, you know, they can't be on the Snapchat. They can't, but that's so difficult in a world where well, everybody, yeah. and, that's and how they communicate. You should, have, you should have limits. You should have limits and there should be monitoring. And that's very important. But at the end of the day, this isn't like the drug problem in some ways, because if you look at the drug problem, one of the one of the aspects of, of dealing with it is demand reduction, right? Mm-hmm. You treat it as a sickness and addiction, which this is for some predators and some people, but it's not going away. So your best protection is the the information wall you provide your children to protect right. themselves. And it, look, I just did an interview literally day before yesterday with uh, the Genesee, Michigan County Sheriff. Uh, Chris Swanson, who runs the ghost team, and it's one of the law enforcement agencies around the country where we embed and do these predator investigations, they had a case where a 12-year-old was on Instagram and was approached by a guy in Florida who developed this relationship. He flew up from Florida, got her to climb out the bedroom window, meet him in a church parking lot, took her to a hotel, had all kinds of inducements, you know, groomed her, mm-hmm. sexually assaulted her. And they don't figure this out until she goes to the hospital with the, you know, the savage injuries that he inflicted upon her. They go back and find him. They find the videos, the security videos at the hotel, and, and they figure out he rented a car. They bust him in Florida, bring him back. They toss through his computer. And he did it two other times in that same month, victimizing wow. underage girls um, with inducements. This guy's like 26 years old. And, and who knows what else? And he was going to videotape that and sell the videotape wow. online as child pornography. And was involved in a whole network of other uh, child trafficking people and, and child pornography traffickers. Uh, you know, 12 years old. And, and it wasn't in, on, a, on a sketchy site. It's Instagram. So you have to be very careful and you have to make sure you have these conversations. Yeah, I think it's, it's imperative to talk to your kids. And we, tr- and we try to do that all the time. Very, very um 
like you said, age appropriate conversations with them just to, to know what to look for. Cause you just, you can't put up walls everywhere. There's people, there's, there's ways no. that people are going to. No, it's, it's, it's education, awareness, and dialogue yeah. are the three best ways to protect your kids. Yeah. So let's get into the into the podcast now. So you this sure. this was a uh, you started in December 2020. You've had over you know over 75 74 episodes at this point. Um now in the the podcast is called Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen. Um was was this a was this a, a COVID project? I always I, so many podcasts started in 2020 where people had nothing else to do. Yeah, not really. I mean, obviously it did start in in, in the um in, in the pandemic, I had been wanting to do a podcast for some time. Mm-hmm. And I ended up getting involved with Joe Garner and Steve Cohen, who are in that world and, and my producers on this project. And we were thinking about what would be a good idea, and especially in the pandemic. And we thought, well, let's do what, what we know how to do that no one else can do. And we'll take one predator per episode and do a deep dive. In some, we'll have interviews with people related to the investigations. We've had some of the decoys on. We're going to have some of the people who are involved in the investigations as well from law enforcement and you know, people who are on my team. And we're going to try to talk to some of the actual predators themselves, which is in the works. Mm-hmm. So we did it and it became very popular very quickly because of the loyal following these investigations have. And um, it's been very gratifying. And I think it's been been um, appealing because it's my voice telling the story that I lived and experienced that no one else really had uh, the way I did. Mm-hmm. And it, it forces me to dig deep and take a look at these cases and give them some real thought. You know, people always ask, you know, do you ever go to therapy or do you ever, you know, seek treatment for anybody to talk to for all the dark stuff you covered over the years? And and I say, no, no, I handle it pretty well, I think. And, and But the podcast is a, like therapy to me in mm-hmm. a way, because I, I do go back and, and sort through these things and these experiences that sometimes happen in a blink of an eye when you're out there doing the investigation it allows me to, you know, relive it and, and learn, you know, about myself and the interaction with this guy and learn about the guy and and sort of figure out, okay, well, this is, I did this well here and I should have seized this opportunity there. And it helps me to be a better investigative journalist and, and a better storyteller by digging back into it. And, and I, I, I know it is dark material, there's no question, but I, I do enjoy every week when I go into the studio to record because I, I do feel that for me, it's cathartic. Yeah. And, and also I've listened to a few of them and it's, it's fast. They're fascinating to me because they're, it's, it's almost like a behind the scenes it's like when you watch the segment on To Catch a Predator and you see something happen, then sure. you have 50 questions like what exactly. happened next, everything. Like you get the answers to all those questions in the oh, podcast. Oh, yeah. And, 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 and we every week, you know, I encourage uh, listeners to send a question in and if they can on, on audio file. And every week I play one of those questions and answer it. And, and I think it's a great you know, interaction between the listener and the, and the podcaster. And, and I've developed a real rapport, you know, with my audience there. And it's, it's very gratifying to, to see it develop. And, and it's always nice when you take something that is from TV and then move it over into the podcast space. Cause suddenly you don't, you're not, you don't have the time constraints and everything you have when you're right. a TV show. So you're exactly. able to fully develop thoughts when maybe you can't do that when you're putting it on TV. Right. Exactly. 
so so the the podcast so far is what I've listened to has been great. What now? It's a weekly podcast. Which what day of the week do episodes drop? We we drop uh, on Monday, which is usually Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it drops, and um, but yeah, I, come hell or high water, every week we've got a new episode. So and the, you know, based upon all the cases we've done and all the cases we're doing, I, mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to run out of. Uh, I don't mean to make light of it, but I don't think we're going to run out of. Uh, uh, content anytime soon. No, I can't imagine. Like, cases, it's just, yeah. That's the one thing that was always, it has always fascinated me. Just watching the show on TV was just like, when, whenever somebody shows up for a second time, it's like, like, gee, like you'll never run out of people that are trying to do this. No. And that's what we try no. to teach our kids too, is like, listen, these people sure. are everywhere. They're everywhere. Right. right. And, and they're, they're very adept at grooming. I mean, going back through these transcripts, you know, I see the same things, you know, that I read 18 years ago today. Uh-huh. It's the same grooming methodology. It's almost like there's a school for it. And, and it's, it, it, it follows a template almost. And if you can understand that, you know, you can better understand how to protect your kids. Yeah, so the, the, it's it was always amazing watching it on TV. The podcast is fantastic. It's a, it's a great follow up. I think. Now we wanted to talk about a, a case for this week. Now the case that you you picked to talk about this week is not one is not a catch a catch a predator case. Right? This is from years before Catch a Predator uh, sure. came out. Right. So this is, um, but God, what a what a great the thing that struck strikes me about this case is how many times this person was able to get back on the streets. And continue offending the way he did. It's a case of uh, Ronald Lloyd Bailey uh, from here in Michigan, uh, and it all started in, in 1985. Uh, you want to break down the, the the beats of this story? Well, the 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 significance of this story is, as you said, the fact that he had so many touches with law enforcement and ended up having been involved in, you know, at least two murders we know of and and other potential sexual assaults of children. But it was significant to me because it was the first big story, crime story that I was on Mm -hmm. beginning to end, where it wasn't just a breaking news story, but I had uh, elements that nobody else had because of following it, because of developing sources, because of, um, you know, uh, relationships and information that I got no one else. But Ronald Lloyd Bailey, actually my age, so he was 24, 25 at the time. was just a guy, a workaday guy working for a coffee delivery company. And the young man who disappeared was the son of a newspaper publisher in um, Brighton Howell area. And this little boy disappeared on Memorial Day, as you mentioned, 1985. And it was was a, a big deal because it wasn't the typical disappearance. He was out riding his bike. And vanished. Mm. And there was this search. And because the father, who was a wonderful guy, and my heart broke for him then and still does, um, knew the newspaper business, he was able to obviously maximize the attention as you need to do uh, in a missing child case. One thing leads to another. Ronald Lloyd Bailey becomes a suspect. He is questioned. He disappears. They find the body. His family had a a cottage in Gladwood, Michigan. They find the young victim's body. And um, he takes off to Florida. We take off to Florida following him, and they find him hiding under a mobile home in in the woods. And they they arrest him, and and, uh, they quickly figure out he's not just 
responsible for this child's murder, but he was responsible for another. And then it goes into the whole history of his treatment in the then Northfield Mental Hospital and a doctor by the name of Jose Tambo, who it was alleged had inappropriate sexual contact with him and may have created this monster. And it was, you know, the two trials and the whole thing played out. And then he was ultimately found guilty and sentenced to life in prison, two life sentences. And it just, it struck me as, is one of those cases. I mean, it was literally a year or two out of my life consistently. And I learned so much about covering crime and, and how important it was to, you know, develop sources and, and to really try to get some sense of, justice for these victims in this case. And it really impacted me. And, and that's why, you know, I think part of the reason why I continued to, you know, cover crime stories, you know, to this day. Yeah. And and this case is, so would you, that, that history you were talking about. So this kid was at 13 years old, he kidnapped a boy and fondled him and was sent to a psychiatric right. hospital. And then at 15 years old, he kidnapped another boy and assaulted him at knife point. And then at 16 years old, abducts a 12-year-old boy and tries to choke him. Uh, at 16, he uh, abducted another 12-year-old boy from the mall, sexually assaulted. I mean, this was over. He, he was arrested. He pleads guilty. They sent him back to another psychiatric hospital. And it's just it's it's one of those cases where when it you know when he's finally caught when he kills somebody, it you look back and you're like, how the hell? How did this continue to? Like, why didn't somebody stop this along yeah, the way? Yeah, and and it's one of the explanations was this treating physician at Northville who was also preying upon him, and mm -hmm. and uh, you know we could never essentially prove that, but you know there were multiple investigations, and and, uh, um, and the other strange thing about this case was that you know Bailey's parents were not evil people who molested their child. Um, there were good and decent, hardworking people in Livonia, Michigan, who had a bad seed. And in spite of the failure of the legal system to take him, put him someplace where he could not murder two children, um, you know, they, they did seek help for this kid. I mean, they, they, he did go to the hospital. He did uh, abide by, you know, the court rulings. But yeah, it's, 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 awful looking back at how many touches he had with law enforcement, how many warning signs there were and how, you know, because of that, um, part of it was because it was the eighties and, you know, we didn't deal with things as effectively as we do now, I think in some ways, but it just horrible, horrible. And the loss of these families suffered. Well, I, I gotta say, Chris, that your, your body of work over the decades has been, uh, you've, you've always been an advocate for, helping to uh, inform parents, inform kids and try to, and, and there's been more than just uh, to catch a predator, the TV show. And now the predators I've caught with Chris Hansen, the podcast. I mean, you wrote a book back in 2007 to catch a predator, protecting your kids from online enemies already in your home. Uh, you, you've, is, is this a, your career, obviously we're, we're totally talking about this today, but it has spanned a wide variety and a huge range of things. Is the work you've done exposing these predators, do you consider that to be like a, a high point or a, a big point in your career? Well, I think I think it is. I mean, look, there are a lot of things that, that I'm proud of that we've accomplished, and, and there's there are many more things to accomplish. And that's one of the reasons be, behind this True Blue, you know, streaming crime network that we're premiering in November. But, it, it, you know, it's obviously something, the Predator series that has opened up a lot of doors because of the 
intense popularity and the intense following. I always joke with people though, that, you know, of the 10 Emmys I've won, none of them are for Predator. Okay. You know, it's, it's outside the box of traditional television journalism. You know, all those awards are for other things I've done over the years. And, and I'm fine with that because again, the access that I have today is a, is a, a broadcast journalist who's been in the business 40 years is at a level where it's at because partly a predator. And so I can do these kinds of stories, whether they're predator investigations or other stories, and we've got many in the works, and bring people in, viewers, on this you know, um, journey of discovery to take them to places they wouldn't normally be able to go and see and hear things they wouldn't normally be able to see and hear. So that, that's the benefit of it. And, and that's an enduring aspect of you know, what Predator has allowed me to do. That's great. Well, as as a parent of teenagers, I very much appreciate the the body of work, Emmy or not. Uh, his name is Chris Hansen, and the podcast is called Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen. Check it out. There are plenty of episodes to binge on. Could be your next big true crime binge. And Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to well, sit thank down you with you today. for having me on today and, and uh, enjoy uh, this beautiful Michigan summer day. And, and uh, hopefully there are many more to come. Hopefully. Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, Please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.